Research reveals nearly half of over 55s in the UK do not have a will. My name is Stephen Hooper and in today's 22 Plus Y podcast we're diving into a topic that might not be in the forefront of your mind but it is incredibly important and that is making a will. Specifically we'll be talking about why making a will is crucial for men in the UK and the process involved. We're going to answer some of your questions. Let's go. First things first, let's understand why making a will matters. A will is a legal document. It ensures your wishes are carried out after you die. It's not just for the elderly or for the wealthy. It's actually for everyone. Regardless of age or financial status, we all need to do a will. By making a will, you have control over how your assets are distributed and you can provide financial security for your loved ones. Guys, the reality is that we often find ourselves shouldering the responsibility of being providers and protectors for our families. That's our general role. Making a will provides certainty should you die unexpectedly. You have the power while living to decide who gets what, whether it's your family, your friends, or even a charity of your choice. A will also helps to minimize potential conflicts among family members, providing clarity and reducing stress during what generally is already a fairly difficult time. So let's have a look at the process of making a will. Let's actually delve into the process and see what's involved. In the UK, there are specific legal requirements to create a valid will. And whilst there are alternatives, I strongly believe that it's best to seek professional legal advice to make sure everything's been done properly. A solicitor or a will writing professional can guide you through the process, making sure your will is both legally sound and it reflects your wishes, your intentions. When you make a will, you'll need to consider several key elements. Firstly, you need to appoint an executor. The executor is the person that will carry out your wishes and handle administrative tasks, etc. once you've gone. In my case, I chose to appoint a solicitor that could also act as an executor. And the reason for that was that they would be independent and therefore an unbiased decision maker. The solicitor that I chose makes no initial charge for being appointed as executor. What they do is they take a fee from the estate. So there's nothing up front for appointing them as executor. In my case, the costs of acting executor in 2020 were estimated to be between 1,200 and 1,500 pounds. And the reason for that is that I also own a limited company. It's a very small business, but I own a limited company and that has to be closed down. The assets sold off and the bank accounts closed, this kind of thing. So they're lumping that into the cost of being an executor for me because I'm the only owner. Someone's got to get rid of the business once I'm gone. For the cost for a purely personal, typical, for want of a better word, executor role, 
it's more likely to be between 600 and 800 pounds. But again, that comes out of your estate. It's not something you have to pay up front. So the cost is not there whilst you're living. You haven't got to find that money. It will just come out of your estate. So that's the first thing you need to do is to appoint an executor. The second thing you need to do is you'll need to name your beneficiaries. Who is it that's going to benefit from your estate? This can be individuals, it could be family members, friends, whatever, or it can be organisations. So you could be leaving half of your money to a cat's home or something like that. If you don't do a will, you don't have that option. And it's essential to be clear and specific about what you want to happen to avoid any confusion later on. Remember, you won't be there to sort it out. And if you don't make a will, none of what you want can be guaranteed to happen. So that's the, the, the basic considerations you have to have when you, when you decide to make a will. The actual process for me, what was actually involved, if you like, so I've got a list here and I'll go through them. First of all, the solicitor that I chose sent me a list of to-dos, a list of things that I needed to prepare before we had our first meeting at their office. So this was things like, who do I want to be my beneficiaries? Who do I want to be my executor, as I've just mentioned? But also any way that I particularly wanted things divided up or if I had personal items like a pen that I wanted to give to somebody or a watch to give to somebody else or, or whatever. So there was this list of things that they sent me and along with that was a list of the valid IDs that I needed to take with me to the meeting because I had to prove I am who I say I am. Once I'd done that and sent it back to them, we then scheduled a one-hour meeting at the solicitor's office and we put together a plan and we used the list as the basis to make sure nothing had been forgotten. So that was a couple of evenings of me doing stuff, just putting together a list, thinking things through. Then a one-hour meeting at the solicitor, very easy. About 10 days later, I received a draft from the solicitors that I could read through and comment. And if I wanted to make any changes or any comments, I could make those changes and then email that back to the solicitor. Once we completed that process, five days later, we had our second meeting at the solicitor's office. And there, I signed the will and the solicitor provided someone to act as a witness. And that was it, job done, paid my money, my will was done, finished. So probably two hours of time at the solicitor's in two different meetings and maybe three evenings, something like that. Now I have a blended family, add that to consider. I also have grandchildren to consider and I also have a limited company to dissolve. And it only took me three evenings or so and a couple of meetings with the solicitor. So not particularly onerous. So let's have a look at some of the specific considerations that you need to bear in mind when you're making your will. Let's look at the case that, first of all, if you're a married man and you've got children, what happens if you and your spouse die at the same time? What happens if you both get wiped out in a car crash, coach crash, train crash, bus, uh, plane crash, whatever? Something happens and you both die at the same time. 
or you both die within a period of time where there's no way to arrange an alternative will, a second will. You've got to take care of your kids, number one priority. Neither of you are around, so you need to appoint somebody to look after your kids. You need to find something called legal guardians. This is generally, or very often, either a godparent or it's a brother or sister of one of the parents that already has children, this kind of thing. You need to discuss it with them first, make sure they're willing to do it, and then you need to make sure that that is included in your will. That's just taking care of the legal guardianship. On top of that, kids are expensive. Whoever takes on the guardianship role will need money to be able to raise the children. All of the assets that you have can be sold and placed into trusts, and there's different kinds of trust funds that are available. One of them would be accessible by the guardians, so as they're raising the children, they have access to money to raise them properly, um, make sure they have what they need, anything towards education, clothing, food, all these kind of things. They will have access to money specifically there for raising your children in the event that you're not around. And if there's excess after that, that can be in another trust, which can then be released to the children once they get to a certain age. It's another reason that I believe a solicitor is the right way to go. Even though there are alternatives, I believe a solicitor is the right way to go if you're in that situation. I much prefer that to the DIY route. Now along a similar theme, you've got children. Blended families are very common in today's society. And if you have a blended family, children from a previous relationship, it's vital to carefully outline your intentions to avoid any potential disputes once you're gone. This was the main reason that I chose to use a solicitor as my executor, somebody independent and unbiased. The reason is I have sons from two different marriages and sadly the marriages both ended in divorce. My second wife we were together for a long, long time. And she will obviously be passing her estate onto our two sons. So they will get half each of her estate, I'm assuming. But being that we were together for over 30 years, some of that has come from me. So my two sons from that marriage will be benefiting from the, the, the sum, if you like, that was subsequently divided during the divorce, but they will be benefiting from that sum. From my first marriage, there'll be nothing coming from the half of our joint estate that went to my second wife during the divorce. So I had to make sure that from the first marriage, it was even, if you like, but across all of my kids because they're all equally important to me. So I needed to make sure that they all got something that was proportional and, and fair. That was something that I had to consider because we had a blended family. We now have a blended family that's divorced. And it makes things very complex. Having an unbiased independent solicitor as executor will help in that. Even though I've covered the main financial aspects, there's other elements as well and the solicitor will make sure that that's handled fairly. Particularly to avoid 
any fallout between the siblings, between my kids. I don't want them falling out over a camera that's not mentioned in the, in the will, for example, or something silly like that. I don't want them to fall out over who got the camera because of arguments and this sort of thing. I want somebody independent that's going to say, right, this is how it's going to happen. And if you don't like it, blame me. Don't blame anybody else. And I wanted to take that risk away of fallouts between my sons at what is a very emotional time. And as you saw earlier, it's actually not that expensive. The cost for doing that comes out of the estate. It hasn't cost me anything yet. It will just come out of the estate. But I know it will be handled independently and fairly. The thing with blended families, and I do have extensive experience of this, most people, when you talk to them, most couples in a situation of a blended family, will have the best intention when these things are discussed. But once one parent sees assets going to another person's child, because that's what it is, their own opinion will magically change. And all of a sudden, they will want to protect things for their children. Not all of your children, because some of yours are from a previous marriage, but for their children out of your relationship at the expense of your other children. That's not fair, in my view. And you won't be there to sort it out. You just won't. You, whether you're a mediator or a rule maker, you won't be there to sort it out. So this is why, while everybody's feeling okay and positive and good and everything else, so you get a chance to define in the will how this is going to work. Because when it comes to it, emotions get very, very high. And you can avoid all of this by doing your will and making sure you account for the fact that you're in a blended family. Also to consider is, do you have any disabled family members? Not necessarily your children, but maybe you have a sister, a brother, a parent, somebody who is going to need ongoing support and you would, under normal circumstances, expect yourself to be there to look after them, to, to help them as they get older. You're not going to be there. You're not going to be around. So maybe you should consider making a provision for them in your will. And you can do that quite easily but you can't do it when you're dead. So get it done up front, everything sorted, and once you pass, once you've gone, everything just happens. You've set all your ducks up in a row, and the solicitor will just come along and go bop, 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 everything in place. Now the other thing is, ironically, a will should be seen as a living document. I love that term. It's not a one-off thing. Jobs change, people change, families change assets change you may have grandchildren come along and you hadn't allowed for that when you originally did your will so you need to keep it as a living document and you can update it in my own will I haven't defined any particular grandchildren I've defined that a certain portion of my estate will be divided amongst any grandchildren automatically at the time that I die any grandchildren that have been born in, in the interim between me defining my will and me dying will be catered for. But it could also be that I lose everything and there's, there isn't anything there to, to give to the, the grandchildren and I have to protect the most vulnerable 
so I may have to go back and rewrite my will. So it's a living document. It's something you do, gives you great peace of mind, but you don't just do it and forget it. You need to keep it up to date. So the irony is the document about you being dead is a living document. Unless you've been through the process of creating a will, there are almost certainly going to be misconceptions. People who have been through the process will understand, but until you've done it, it's quite likely that you won't understand these. So I'm going to go through some of the particular misconceptions, questions, concerns, that sort of thing. The first one is that making a will is very complex and expensive. Of course, if you're going to have professional help to do this, if you're going to get professional advice from a solicitor, there's a cost involved, of course. It's a professional service, you have to pay for it. But think of it as an investment, because you're going to make life easy for your family when you're gone. Things are going to happen the way that you want them to happen when you're gone. So just think of it as an investment, that's the first thing. So aside from being there to smooth things over for your family, you're also going to save them potentially time, money and even future legal battles. One of the misconceptions is that creating a will is expensive. I'll give you some actual figures. My will was professionally drawn up by a qualified solicitor that specialises in estate planning. That's what they do. The total fee for creating my will, the process that I explained earlier, in 2020 was £180, including VAT. So it's really not that expensive when you consider what it does for your family. Now, I did mention earlier there are alternatives to using a solicitor. And you can use a will writing service. That's perfectly acceptable. They're not legally solicitors, but they are trained to, to write wills. I'm not sure of the benefits when I think that I used a, a legally qualified solicitor that's, that specialises in estate planning. It still only cost me less than 200 quid for an investment. I, I think there's just, I don't see the point of using somebody that's not legally qualified. But there you go. You can also, and it's perfectly legal, use a, t a will template that you can buy from Amazon. Some of them you can download free of charge from some sites. But you can go onto Amazon. I'll put a link into the show notes. You can actually download an up-to-date will pack from Amazon for £11.99. So for £11.99, if you haven't got a complex will, complex family, if, if let's say you're single, it's just you and you want all of your money go, to go to Battersea Dog's Home, it's really simple. And for £11.99, you can download a pack off of Amazon to do that. You can make a will free of charge, no cost whatsoever. And the way that this works is a lot of charities now are offering a free will writing service. They will write and prepare your will for you in exchange for you making a donation from your will to their charity. So it doesn't cost you anything up front at all. It doesn't cost you a penny but they will write your will out for you and all they're asking is that you leave a portion of your estate to them in a will and they will do everything for you. So you could say, well, I want 80% of my 
estate to go to my divided between my two brothers or whatever the situation is I don't have brothers but you know what I mean and the balance I want to go to Battersea Dogs Home and Battersea Dogs Home if they're offering a free will writing service will produce the will for you in exchange for that pledge so there really is no financial impediment to creating a will you can do it for nothing you can do it for 11.99 or for less than 200 quid you can have a solicitor do it for you it's more a case of people don't think about doing it so that's a will that's the cost of doing a will it took me under three weeks from start to finish it took me about three evenings and a couple of meetings with a solicitor and it cost me 180 quid job done if you die without creating a will, you will be dying in what is known as dying intestate. This means you don't have a will, that's all that means. It can lead to a lot of complications because there's no decisions been made for division of your assets and your estate. If you die intestate, law in the UK, well certainly in England, dictates how your assets will be distributed. And that may not match your wishes. It can also cause a lot of ill feeling amongst family and friends who are expecting to get something. You may have a, a, a son that's expecting a particular piece of jewellery, something that they've, they would cherish and something they've wanted for forever and the law just comes along and says, uh -uh, we're just going to sell all that and there's a monetary value. So you can avoid all that by doing a will. So you, you avoid ill feeling you have certainty over what goes where. And also it's quicker for your beneficiaries, for your, the people you leave behind. They will benefit, generally benefit quicker, if you create a will. So just to go through how this works currently, the rules for intestacy, it follows a, a set hierarchy of who benefits from the estate. And currently, the order of intestacy is, number one, your spouse or your civil partner. This is not just a partner, this is a civil partner, as in registered civil partner. So, spouse or civil partner. Children and grandchildren. Then parents. Then brothers and sisters, your siblings. Then your grandparents and then uncles and aunts. So that's the order of preference. So your spouse or your civil partner is at the top of the list, if they survive you. Following them will be children and grandchildren. Following them will be your parents, then brothers and sisters, grandparents and uncles and aunts. If you're living with somebody, you're in a relationship with somebody, but you have no civil partnership and, you haven't, and you're not married, they have no claim at all. If they have been paying into the mortgage, and if they're on the, on the mortgage as, as a joint owner, if you like, then obviously they have a claim to, to what they've been paying in and to their share of property. But if there's nothing like that, they have absolutely no claim, unless you create a will. Regarding time, 
there's no hard and fast rule. There are some guidances that things have to be done within a certain number of weeks from when probate is declared. Probate is the, the process of your will or your death notice being formally recognised and then the, the dispersal of assets being ordered. If you have a will, then it's ordered that the will will disperse of the assets as defined in the will. If there's no will, then it will be ordered through probate that the rules of intestacy will take place and then that becomes how things get uh, dispersed. If you have a will, it can take something between four and nine months. That's the latest thinking that I could find online. If I'm looking at different averages from people and different sources, people are saying between four and nine months if you have a will. So from when your will is uh, entered into probate and the order from probate is given, it's four to nine months before the, all of the beneficiaries receive what they're entitled to. If you die intestate, it's more like 6 to 12 months. So it's adding a couple of months, maybe maybe 3-4 months to the process, just because you didn't do a will. That may be that some of these people actually need your benefits. Maybe, maybe people that actually rely on you, your family, who don't have access to this because you didn't make a will, will have to wait even longer before they can get access to it. then your spouse or your partner in that case will have full access to the account. But without that, you're relying on probate working quickly if you die intestate. So another reason for getting a will. So let's talk about legacy. Some of us get to leave a legacy that keeps us alive in the minds of others. People like Princess Diana. She's remembered not just for her kids, they're all in the news, but for things that she did like uh, opening up AIDS awareness for people, the landmine work that she did. They get to be remembered. Most of us will just fade into oblivion in all but the closest of our family and friends' hearts and minds. We're just going to get forgotten. That's the way life goes. However, your family and friends may not forget you for the wrong reasons. So I'm just going to explain what I mean by that. I know someone who has just never found the time and isn't overly bothered about making a will. They're a house owner, so they have assets. They have two adult children. One of those children has four children of their own. So this person has four grandchildren. And the other child, the other child of this person is childless. So there's two adult children and then there's four grandchildren. But what there is also in this family is a lot, a lot of drama and strife. It's very much a, a family where sparks set off big arguments and then everything settles down and everything's lovely again and then there's another big argument and everything settles down. But I talked to this person about the importance of making a will and the response I got was along the lines of, well, I won't be here so it won't be my problem. With the best will in the world, I don't understand how you could just leave everything 
so it's up in the air for your kids to sort out when you're gone. I don't get it. To me, simplifying things for my kids at a time when they're probably going to be emotionally upset is part of my legacy. If I can make things go smoothly for my family, then so much the better for their memory of me. If I'm just making a whole load of extra drama for them, I'm just going to lob a grenade into a field and say, there you go, catch that and get on with it, that's going to be the legacy that you leave behind. That's going to be the memory that you leave behind. I don't understand it. Personally, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But I know this person isn't alone. If that's how you think, oh, well, I'm not going to be here, it's not going to be my problem, just have a think again, because these are your kids or these are your friends or these are your family and do you really want to just just leave them to just to sort things out and have a load of grief and possibly expense as well when you could avoid it just by doing a will even if you do a charitable will it doesn't cost you anything or if you do an 11.99 will off of amazon you know for 12 quid i know what i would rather do the other thing is, a lot of people think doing a will is something that you really only need to do when you start to get old, or if you've got lots of assets, this kind of thing, so if you're a rich person. I created my will when I was 60. Far too late in my opinion, and I'd thought about it many, many times, but I just never got around to it. I had already lost friends unexpectedly. By the time I was 60, I'd lost friends from school. I'd lost people, friends that I'd made subsequently in life that were a lot younger than me. They died through motorbike accidents or, or whatever, car crashes, this sort of thing. And they were not prepared for it. I didn't need to wait until I was 60. I shouldn't have waited until I was 60. On top of that, as well as you know, being a married man with children, those sort of responsibilities, the sort of work that I did put me in situations where my risk of getting killed at work, if you like, was higher than my nine to five colleagues back in the office. I used to travel extensively for my, for my work and sometimes in places where I'd rather not have been. I put my life at risk a few times in going to places that I shouldn't have, uh, potential war zones also. And I should have made my will 30 years before. I should have done it when I was 30, not when I was 60. The other thing is, and this is quite interesting, as soon as I did my will, I felt a huge weight lift from me, a huge responsibility was gone. I knew that I'd done something that I needed to have done. I should have done it a long, long time before. And I felt this, this load lift off me to, to say, well, that's done now. I don't have to worry about it. I've done everything I possibly can for my kids when I go. Okay, I may have to titivate the, the details of it and, and up to keep it up to date. But right now, if I was to die tomorrow, I know that my estate will be divided up the way that I want it to and my kids will be protected in the way that I wanted to protect them and my grandchildren, etc. It actually reduced a lot of stress from me and I, I literally felt my mood rise. It was amazing. 
amazing situation. The closest I came to doing a will, and it wouldn't have been legally valid now I look at it, was the first time I went into the Troubles in Northern Ireland. I went there as, as a civvy, but it was very much when the Troubles were alive. And as you can tell, I have a very <laughs> English accent and I felt that I was putting myself at risk. It was my work, it was my job. And the people were absolutely lovely. I, I absolutely adore Northern Ireland. But in the 80s, it wasn't a place for an Englishman to be walking around necessarily, particularly in the part that I was working in. But I made a note of what I wanted to do to protect my wife at the time. And I wrote everything out, I signed and dated it. I gave it to my mother-in-law at the time and said, look, if something does happen, can you give this to my wife? And, and she took it to give that to her. But it was more of a letter. Although I made a statement that I wanted everything to go to her with a proportion to go to my, my uh, kids from previous family, it wasn't legally binding because I hadn't had it witnessed. All I needed was a witness signature and it would have been fine. Um, but that was back in the, in the 80s. And realistically, it was a crazy thing to do to go over there without having made any plans for something that might have gone wrong. A few times, I, I went there many times, and a few times I got intercepted by the army patrols while I was out there because of the, the um, alert level of alertness was, was quite high. And I look back now and think, I should have done a will. It was crazy not to. The thing with doing a will is it's very, very easy to just put it off and think, oh, well, I don't need to do that yet. I'm too young, I don't need to do that yet. Don't, don't procrastinate. Just get it done. It'll cost you next to nothing in terms of money and it'll cost you next to nothing in terms of time. Just do it. The most difficult thing about doing a will is A, getting started and B, if you have to talk to somebody about being guardians for your children. Because if you have children, you need to take care of that. And that can be quite a difficult conversation. But anybody who's an adult will understand that it's the right thing and the responsible thing to do. So don't procrastinate. Just get on and do it. It's never too early to begin. Just, just get it done. Find a solicitor, ideally one that specialises in estate planning, but any, legal, any, any legally trained solicitor can either do it for you or have a colleague that would be able to do it for you or a will writing service, they can guide you through the process quite easy. They have the expertise to help you navigate the relevant laws to make sure that the, the will is legally binding. On our main website, 22plusy.com, there's a, a whole blog section. It's a blog post website, basically. There is a, a, a whole blog post about writing a will that goes in line and runs alongside this podcast. And on there, there is an FAQ section. It gives you a, a number of reasons why uh, making a will is important, and it answers some of the questions in there. So I'll put a link in the, in the show notes for you. But the FAQ section might be worth having a look through. But let's have a look at a couple of the FAQs while, while I've got the page open. Why is it important to make a will? Well, as we've discussed, it, it's important because it allows you to ensure your wishes are carried out after you die. 
simple. That's that's the bottom line of, of a will. Can you make a will without professional help? Well, as I've said, you can do that. It's not mandatory. You can go to uh, Amazon, get a, get a kit. The main things you need, you don't need multiple copies. That's the first thing. It's the one document which is signed, but you don't have to have multiple copies of, but it doesn't hurt to have them. The things you need is you need to appoint an executor. You should speak to them first to make sure they're willing to be an executor. You need a list of the beneficiaries and you need to be able to say what it is you want to go to each of those beneficiaries. Don't try getting fancy with it. Just say, I want half to go to this kid, half to that that kid or whatever. And I want everything sold to, to be able to make that money available. Or I want my collection of stamps to go to that that person and my uncle to have my pens or, or whatever just list the, the basic item things and then everything else sold and distributed in these percentage ways so you can do it so you need to appoint an executor you need to appoint the beneficiaries and say how you want the division done you need to sign and date it in front of a witness the witness needs to sign and date it and put their address on to say that they witnessed you signing it and that they, they know that you are who you say you are. Once you've done that, that's your will complete. That's it. So you can do it on a, on a sheet of A4 and you can do it free of charge. I wouldn't recommend it. It's just not worth it. But you can do it. How often should I update my will? Whenever there's a significant change is the answer to that. If new children come along or if you get divorced definitely you need to change your will if you get divorced the the day you get divorced have a new will ready because you don't want to be giving everything away to somebody you've just got divorced from so definitely change your will the day you get divorced any significant changes like that if you sell your house and you spend your money on on vacations and you're now living in rented accommodation obviously you won't have a house to go into the estate so you need to update your will and we'll go for the last question on here on the FAQs is what happens if I die without a will? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you will be dying intestate and the rules of intestacy will take precedence. They will take control of whatever it is you've left behind and it will be distributed amongst your family according to the rules of intestacy in place at the time. So starting with spouse or part, a civil partner and then children, grandchildren, grandparents, etc. Parents, grandparents, in that order. As I said at the outset, you're probably not thinking about this. It's not something most people think about very often. You may think you have plenty of time. But life is, in truth, very fragile. I've, I've lost, as I said, I've lost friends far, far too young. And it's sad enough to lose them when they're young, but also to know that they hadn't prepared to look after the people that they loved. So it caused problems for them. So take the time to do it, and then you can rest easy knowing that you've done it. It's, it's a simple thing to do. There's really no reason not to do it. Anyway, I hope you found this podcast useful. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. Tell your mates, definitely tell your mates, because it may be one of your mates might be you know, in a position where they should have a will to protect their family. So tell your mates, share the po- this podcast with your mates and uh, then you can rest easy okay my name's Stephen Hooper this has been a podcast from 22plusy.com bye